Well, welcome to another episode of Conversations and Connections, the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the Prevention Coordinator for the agency, and we are taking the mobile podcast studio on the road. I think this is only like the second time we've done this. We're actually here in the Baker Patillo Student Center on the campus of Stephen F. Austin State University. And um, June is Pride Month. And so what we decided to do is observe Pride Month and talk to some folks here on the SFA campus about what Pride Month uh, means and just about issues uh, going on in the LGBTQ plus community. So with me today, I have Megan Morton, who's the Director of Communications, and also I have Daniel Gillis, and they're both with the SFA LGBTQ Equality Caucus, and I feel like I need to take a breath after I say all of that. It is kind of a long <laughs> name. Sometimes I get a little tired of saying it too. <laughs> Well, I appreciate both of you guys for coming on and, and doing this. I, it, it's really appreciated, and I thank you so much. And I guess first, and, and Daniel, I forgot to ask before we started recording, do you have an official title with the caucus? Yeah, I am officially director of membership. Okay. Yeah. Director of membership. I need to remember. I I was all about Megan, and yeah. I completely <laughs> I completely forgot to ask, ask you anything. So I guess first of all, Let's just kind of start because I jokingly said that was a very long name. Uh, can you give me a brief description of what the LGBTQ plus equity or equality caucus, excuse me, uh, is all about? What do you guys do here on campus? So the LGBTQ plus equality caucus is an SFA based organization where we focus on LGBTQ plus initiatives on campus, um, participate in volunteerism events. Um, just like the Safe Summer uh, that we did. With right, you guys were involved uh, in the Safe Summer Break um, event that uh, the Family Crisis Center, along with the Serve Coalition, did. Right, and we also do social events as well, just to gather as a community and make sure that not only our voices are heard, that but that we're visible within our SFA community, just to make everybody mm -hmm. a little bit more comfortable. Okay, excellent. So, you know, one of the things that I've always have thought about, you know, and I want to try to avoid stereotypes as, as much as I can, but what are some of the unique challenges members of the LGBTQ plus community face in rural East Texas? You know, I don't know if it's as tough as what I think it may be. I don't know. Um, well, Daniel and I were talking about it before we came in here, and we were just um, talking about how I don't necessarily think there's a whole lot of unique challenges um, rather than stuff that we all face together. Um, now, there are a few, like legislation and things like that. Of course, federally, we're able to get married, but it goes way deeper into that. Um, one thing that I mentioned to Daniel is um, abortion rights. So that's a little bit deeper because there are trans individuals who are, who are able to conceive children. Um, they may not be presenting as someone who can have children, um, 
but becoming pregnant and not being able to access that service after six weeks can be gender dysphoric for some individuals. Um, also, there are there was legislation that did not allow trans individuals um, to play sports, but that was kicked by, I believe, one of our legislators. It passed in Florida, unfortunately. Um, but I guess not necessarily rural parts of Texas, but Texas as a whole and its laws. And then there's also different parts of, um, like, say, Austin is a more quote, liberal place, but a lot of that is almost participation and gentrification in a way. Like, they still pass anti-homeless laws when a large amount of LGBTQ plus youth are homeless or just LGBTQ plus individuals in general. Right. Um, so there's, there's specific laws that do affect us, and then, of course, there's always the people who are very vocal. Um... I, I like to say the very vocal minority in, because we do get a lot of positive and positivity. Well, that's what I was wearing. And I guess that's why I was saying, you know, I don't want to be stereotypical. Uh, and I may be wrong. You know, there may be you have you may have a, a whole lot more support out in the community than I would think you might. Right. Being in, again, uh, a rural a rural area. Mm hmm. Just because rural areas, I'm telling you, know, are more going to be more conservative-minded uh, and things like that. Yes, 100%. And um, sometimes it can be a little bit discouraging. Like, Pride Month is different for everybody. I know some people, they're like, oh, once Pride Month starts, it's like, yes, there's an uptick in positivity and pride. But there's also an uptick in people being very vocal about how they do not like pride and um what are your experience with it daniel daniel's been the strong silent type so far so <laughs> meg does love to talk so <laughs> that. um yeah i think with it being deep east texas it is really hard as an lgbt person but i don't think that it is like a specific east texas thing i think it you know i agree with meg it is something that we all focus or like face, but um, you know, definitely gonna face a lot less if you live in like New York, you know, compared to. Well, and I even think even talking about Texas, I even think of like Houston, Dallas, Austin, right. especially probably Austin. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You're probably gonna face less. What's the word? Criticism? I don't know what the right. word might be than you would in other areas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, even even in the south, in the larger cities, um, you know, compared to Nacogdoches, Carthage, that kind of area, um, if I go to, like, Houston or even, like, Memphis, which is, like, a conservative kind of area, like, it's fine. Like, I don't face any sort of uh, discrimination or anything like that. Okay. But it is mostly in, like, those smaller communities where it's more conservative that you have those um, challenges. Okay. Are y'all from this area? Uh, I'm from Humble originally. <laughs> all right. We can talk later. I'm from Aldine. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Okay. Um, Megan, what about you? I'm from the East Texas area. Um, I'm from Trinidad, if you've heard of it. I've heard of it. Oh, 
Now, if you gave me a map, I don't know if I could point to where it is, but I've heard of I've heard of Trinidad. Yes, yes, it's okay. kind of outside of Tyler. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. Um, what was it? And again, I, I, you know, by all means, if you don't want to answer anything, you, you don't have to. But what was it like in? Umble compared to Trent, because Umble's almost, you might as well say Houston right. in a way, uh, compared to Trinidad, what was it like growing up being LGBTQ? Could you feel, did you feel comfortable identifying yourself that way in front of friends and family? Um, definitely not my family, but just as the community as a whole, um, if you live in like Umble or, you know, maybe Trinidad there are places like it is definitely a place where you have more support because people don't really care like they're not that much in your business okay as it is in a smaller community um but when I was a kid and I was very obviously you know uh, (laughs) it was it was not like a moment where you're like oh maybe everybody knew um (laughs) but yeah uh it wasn't like you know, I didn't face any criticism. People were just like, okay, you know, yeah. like they dealt with it. Okay. But I think if I grew up in like, you know, like a smaller community compared to that, it would sure. be very different. Well, my situation is just a little bit different. So I didn't grow up knowing. Um, I recently came out, actually. Okay. And that's yes. that's fair enough. Um, there's actually a lot of later in life LGBTQ plus members just because of where they grew up. Later um, in life, it makes you sound like you're 50 years yeah. old. I, I'm kidding you. I know what you mean, though. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, in Trinidad, Trinidad is very small. They have one school within Trinidad that I, I only went to in fourth grade. Um, but then I moved on to Malakoff, which is the high school I went to. Um, for example, if you want kind of an example of how they were stereotyped in that area. There was a school in uh, Maybank, Maybank High School. Um, It was stereotyped that there were a lot of LGBTQ plus individuals there. And a lot of people who were within the school system, they would call it gay bank because there were a lot of LGBTQ individuals there. Um, (laughs) Daniel and I are laughing at that (laughs) because, I mean, it, it, honestly, it's a little bit funny, but, um, it's just interesting to see the progression of some towns. A lot of people like, like Daniel said, they just don't say anything, you know, they'd rather just get on about their business, um, drive 20 minutes to Walmart and then come back home after their day trip to Walmart. (laughs) But um, it's definitely interesting to see progression. And Nacogdoches, despite what people think, it is they do have some little progressive niches in there. Um, there's definitely a pretty large alt scene. And um, I say pretty large, large for us, you know. Um, then, of course, there is the Piney Woods Pride Coalition, which they are looking for executive members for their board. Um, Otherwise, they haven't been having a whole lot of meetings. Um, And then, of course, you have us, the LGBTQ Plus Equality Caucus. Um, Not only are we 
just examples for the university, but we also do some community outreach as well through, like I said, volunteerism and, I mean, even things like this, this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned other, other organizations because that was going to be one of the questions I, I wanted to ask is, I know y'all are a campus organization. If someone wants to give y'all support, if they're not necessarily directly connected to the campus, what can they, what can they do, you know, or who can they go to? Well, um, if they want to support us, one of the easiest and free ways to do that is to follow us on our social media. We always like um, words of kindness Um, and, you know, sharing our events because some of our events are, we do reach out to the community, like um, this past semester, we had a pride event that was open to the community. Um, quite a few non-SFA people did come okay. and participate, and it was so much fun. Um, we had a costume, or not a costume contest, but a rainbow outfit contest, and we had drag performance. And also another one that we do is a big fundraiser of ours is the drag show that we do, which is so much fun. <laughs> and it's so fulfilling and heartwarming to see not only SFA students being interested in our events, Mm -hmm. but also members of the community and also faculty and staff. Um, That's so important. Cool. So important. So being SFA students, uh, and we may have kind of in a way already answered this, but being SFA students, and again, the LGBTQ plus caucus is a, a campus organization. Do you feel more at ease on campus or off campus? Because I know on campus, uh, again, I may be generalizing a little bit. You'd think college campuses are probably going to be a little bit more liberal minded. And so I'm wondering, what is it like on campus going to mingling with your your student peers on campus and then going out off campus and facing the public? Um, it's definitely, I definitely, if you asked me this question before I was a part of the LGBTQ caucus, I would have said like off campus, totally. Off um, campus, yeah. feeling more comfortable? Yes. Really? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised. Yeah. Well, the big part of that is that I am a agriculture major. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of the SFA Agriculture Department. I am not saying anything bad about them. I am just saying um, it is a very rural, uh, you know, like agribusiness, like animal science, that kind of thing. They are very uh, geared toward, like, people who are from, like, rural communities who, you know, they're great people, but they might not be as accepting as, like, somebody who's, you know, from the biology department or something like that. So... Definitely, they did not make me feel that comfortable, you know, like being the way that I am. But when I found the LGBTQ caucus, it was more just like, oh, like these are people who are like me. So now like that I'm a part of this, I definitely feel more at ease on campus. Cool. And I would have to say... um I would, just because of some experiences, or one experience specifically that I had in Lufkin, I was wearing a rainbow mask and was harassed, and um, it was, and I was, I wasn't, I was walking with a friend who was a girl, and it just, 
it just wasn't good. Yeah. Um, people just saying, like, oh, look at those lesbians, you know. And I'm like, dude, I'm not even lesbian. I'm bisexual. Get it right, you know. <laughs> but um, it, I would say on campus for me because like you said there while campus is pretty conservative um there have recently been strides and steps taken to a more progressive campus especially with the creation of our equality caucus we're actually the only lgbtq plus organization on campus so far um of course we always want more um, and more support with yeah. that. But um, I would say from my personal experience that campus is a little bit more welcoming. Than okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you think people who are in the LGBTQ community today, do you think they're better off than those in the community, say, 20 years ago or more? You do you, – you know what I'm getting at? Do you think uh, as far as just acceptance and rights and the legal system and everything? Um, definitely making strides in the past 20 years, um, but like more like locally. You know what I mean? Like in the United States, Canada, uh, Great Britain, you know, like those places, those are pretty accepting. You know, but when you go to places like Uganda or India, they are not, uh, say, better off yeah. than they were in the year 2001. Okay. You know, so definitely um, as a whole, like on the earth, <laughs> uh, we, we still have some way to go. But I think like right now we are making, you know, progress mm-hmm. as a community. Okay. Um one of the things I want to talk to y'all about um, is uh, some statistics uh, from the CDC that they that they have um, that they've put out, and I don't want to say I was surprised because I don't think I was really surprised, but I find it just it's interesting and just you know, it, it, of course, any when we talk about relationship violence, it makes me sad regardless. Mm-hmm. But for instance, um, uh, according to uh, these stats, 43.8% of lesbian women and 61.1% of bisexual women have reported rape, physical violence, and or stalking by intimate partner at some point in their lifetime as opposed to just 35% of heterosexual women. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not going to read all of these, but... You know, 26% of gay men and 30, 37% of bisexual men have experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by intimate partner in their lifetime uh, in comparison to 29% of heterosexual men. Uh, and I guess my question is, if you, I'm sure you have an opinion, um, why do you think the statistics are higher amongst the LGBTQ community when it comes to relationship violence than, say, uh, the heterosexual community? I think that has a lot to do with how our system works with the, or I should say doesn't work with the LGBTQ plus community. Um, A lot of the times, same-sex violence 
um, is not even recognized just because it's not reported. Sure. Um, for example, say there is a straight man in a workplace and a man is harassing that straight man. A lot of times that straight man won't even report it. Oh, yeah, and that's something we talk about all the time in our line of work, that men, victim, male victims of any type of relationship violence is probably way underreported. Oh, yes, definitely. Just because of a, um, you know... Uh, you're afraid to lose, quote unquote, your masculinity mm-hmm. card or whatever if you report that you've been a victim of um, sexual assault or any type of relationship violence. Right. And then it also <clears throat> falls back on a general distrust of authority figures. Um, back in the day, I forgot what year, but it was after the Red Scare, they had what they called Lavender Panic. And that's whenever people started getting fired from their government jobs for being LGBTQ+. Um, They started just really, it was almost like McCarthyism and how they really tried to weed out the communists within the government. They really started to weed out LGBTQ plus members within the working government. Um, And then on top of that, police officers, they started um, hanging out around um, LGBTQ plus areas and soliciting sex workers or just waiting for people to advance on them. Even they weren't in uniform, they were quote undercover. And then these LGBTQ plus sex workers are just random people looking to have a good night out in the club. Um, they were, and going back a little bit, these sex workers, they weren't necessarily wanting to do sex work. They were almost forced to do sex work because their families either figured out that they were LGBTQ+, and then they were kicked out, and then they were homeless, and then they couldn't find work because it was said in the paper that they were LGBTQ+, which did happen. People put that in the newspapers that these members of the community were LGBTQ+, and of course they were shunned, they weren't hired yeah, anywhere, right. and they were homeless, they couldn't make any money, get a job, and then they were forced to go to sex work. And then they approached these people who they didn't know were police officers, or these police officers would even approach them. And sometimes they would go pretty far in checking out to see if they were a sex worker, if you know what I mean. Um, and then all these clubs would be busted. Um, these people would end up going to jail. And even, like, if say if they were trans, they weren't able to be put in the correct jail. And even after that, because of that, they were humiliated. They were abused in this system. They, sometimes even worse, they were raped or murdered within this system. So, um it it really kind of all goes back to that and that distrust of authority and feeling like they're not able to tell that authority that's why there's so much discourse right now about police being at pride events or not like large pride events um i could go way (laughs) into this right but it all falls back on um history and how we've previously been treated um, within the system. 
and not feeling comfortable enough to report. Okay. And then some people um, say even within the partnership, they are, one partner says, oh, if you get away from me, I will out you to your whole family. I will out you to your job. Kind of blackmailing their partner, right? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, you know, in in the prevention work that we do at the agency, uh, you know, we take the primary prevention approach. So we're going to talk to folks about things like the importance of consent and bystander intervention and you know, we talk about uh, combating the risk factors uh, of social, of um, gender socialization. You know, so we always talk about toxic masculinity and objectification of women and male entitlement and things like that. How do these risk factors translate over to the LGBTQ community? Do, do you think all those things are still just as present. Um, Do you have sorry. any thoughts on that? Um, definitely. There are, you know, like we talk about consent and we talk about, you know, things like that. There are definitely some bad people mm-hmm. in, in the community. Um, I'm not going to say that everybody is like great. We all need to be educated on these things. I think... Uh, male entitlement and toxic masculinity is very present in the, um, especially the the gay community uh, towards men, because I don't I don't really know how to say it. Um, you know, like you go on a dating website, for example, and they'll they'll just be openly racist mm-hmm. to you. Okay. They'll okay. be like, they'll be like, oh, no, no Asians, no Mexicans, only whites, only skinny people. And you see, only- and again, this may be a stereotype from a heterosexual old white guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you would, you know, you would almost think, okay, if I'm part of the LGBT community, I would be accepting of, because you're already a part of a. You know, and always, I, I'm always uncomfortable even saying an alternative lifestyle because I don't think it should even be really labeled as alternative necessarily. But, you know, you're part of this uh, community that takes ridicule and that takes uh, um, a lot of criticism. And then there you are saying, you know, white people only or no Asians, no blacks. And right. it's almost, it's kind of, um, contradicting itself right it? It, it's very weird they do kind of drive um like there's a stereotype <laughs> about just just in general like grinder or tinder or whatever um and, these, just, and, and i'm sorry again i just want to make sure these are these are apl- dating. apps dating apps yes. or dating websites so, okay on those specifically because that's really where uh you you really interact with gay men um, you know, if you're just trying to date, um, they'll exclude you for just mm-hmm. no reason. They'll be like, oh, you're too fat mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's like, it's weird. It's, yeah. it's just weird. So it's definitely yeah. in our community. Right, mm-hmm. right. So it's there. So, you know, even though it's the LGBTQ community, you're still going to see amongst your peers the same things almost. You're going to see tox- the toxic masculinity and... 
and things like that, male entitlement and and and, and stuff. So and one thing that could be mentioned is just intersectionality in general. So um, a lot of people they think that we all think and believe the same way that we're very open and very just accepting, which like Daniel said, it's not always true. Um, One of the things that a lot of people stereotype white cisgender males with is that they are racist, like Daniel said, um, very selective. Um, But going back to intersectionality, um, that's kind of where you can also be other types of people. So you're not just LGBTQ, you can also be black and also face the problems that black people face and also face the problems that lgbtq plus people face right and then there's of course like um, acceptance within the black community and acceptance within the say hispanic or latinx community it's different than acceptance within the white community right it's it's all about intersectionality and what you identify with so then i guess you know really if you have somebody who's a racial minority on top of being part of the LGBT community, they may be getting it worse from their peers or whatever community they may be involved in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I think we're, we're just about getting to getting close to wrapping this up. But one of the questions I wanted to ask both of you, what do you think of the media's portrayal of, people in the lgbtq community and what i mean by media it the way people are portrayed in tv shows and movies and and things like that um what what are your thoughts um when it comes to media when i was a kid there wasn't like anything um (laughs) maybe you you watched friends and you saw that chandler had a you know cross-dressing dad or something like that. You know, maybe you right. did that, but there wasn't much. Uh, today, I think it's gotten a lot better. Like, there are uh, songwriters, songs. You know, you can find them on Spotify. It's not, like, very, you know, indie anymore. Okay. It's more like, you know, it's mainstream. Um, but with TV, there is very much the um, the barrier gaze trope. I don't know if you've heard of it. Okay. You're going to have to yeah, explain I that was one to me. Because I was like, ah. <laughs> But um, basically, it's a stereotype where if a TV show introduces a gay character, it's more of like to be like, oh, we have a gay character, and then immediately they're killed off like two episodes later. Or they just they have a bad ending, or they get AIDS, or they get, you know, mm. they, they just can't have a happy storyline. They, they have to have some kind of... They can't something be a normal on. person. Right. It has something has to happen. Right. Like it can't be just, oh, you know, this is a gay person and we're doing this. It always has to further like some kind of plot line. Yeah. They have to die. They have to die have cancer or something. Like it's very right. weird. <laughs> right. Megan? Um, I think, and this is something that I've studied a little bit. My undergrad is in mass communication. Um we talk about stereotypes in the media a lot and how that can really just further perpetuate negativity within any kind of community. But um, for us specifically, you either see the very flamboyant, very out, very um, just 
overemphasized. Like, we don't necessarily act like that. Right. Um, there are some, of course, who do. More power to them. They're really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, they sure get the party started. But not everybody is like that. And that is a very – that can – potentially be a negative stereotype and how straight people accept us. A lot of what you hear is like, why do you have to be so just open about it like that? Why do I have to be bombarded with gay relationships on um, this TV show that I watch? Um, recently, I did some uh, an Instagram takeover for SFA's Instagram. And one of the messages I got um, that I didn't publish because I didn't feel like it was a great message to publish, but somebody asked me, when are we going to stop publicly telling people who we like to have sex with? And I was, I thought to myself, you know, when you get married, are you just like forever a virgin after you get married? Um, because if, if you really think about it, Straight marriage, obviously, or like if you have a baby, you obviously will not. Something had to happen to make you come into the world. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I'm like, is is being pregnant most of the time not a public announcement that you had sex with somebody? And I'm, sure. I'm like, there's a whole there's a whole lot to unpack there. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of times also, you know, if you a lot of times when you hear people, you know. Oh, you know, you're you're hearing this all the time now about you know. We're getting like you said bombarded. I think what it is, I think probably the same amount of gay people have always been in our community. It's mm-hmm. just media is much more diverse now. You know, when I was a kid, we had the three major networks, a couple of local channels, and that was it. You know, now good grief. You know, you got. You know, all these different media resources, and I just and I, th- I just think it's it's people are also are just more comfortable now, I think, because it is being more accepted. So I think, you know, LGBTQ folks, they were always out there, and it's the same amount. It's not like, well, it's hip, so I'm going to do this now. I think it's just... Uh, the media is, you know, we have more media outlets for people to express themselves, and I think people are getting more comfortable. Uh, Daniel, I like what you pointed out, and this was going to be one of the observations I was going to make, talking about the media portrayal. It seems like LGBTQ people are either played up for comedic purposes, kind of like what Megan said, the very flamboyant, right. over-the-top, or... They're struck with tragedy. <laughs> you know, they got AIDS or um, they're being discriminated against, and it's just such a tragic thing. And it may be, I think things may be better now, but, right. and I guess that was that was my thoughts whenever I posed that question was it seems like it's either one extreme or the other, you know, yeah. so. It would be very nice to have a TV show where they're just, you know, hanging out, uh, you know, like not getting AIDS or dying or anything. That would be really cool. But LGBTQ friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how awesome. Will from Will and Grace is doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, guys, thank you all so much. I, I appreciate you coming on and being able to do this. And uh, maybe at some point in the future, we can continue the conversation with some more pointed topics and and things like that. But uh, again, uh, uh, Megan Morton, uh, Director of Communications, and Daniel Gillis, the Director of uh, Membership. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, with the SFA, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. The <laughs> SFA LGBTQ plus Equality Caucus. Yes. Thanks, guys. I, Thank I appreciate it so much. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we discussed on today's program, you can email us. That email address is conversationsandconnections at fccet.com. And also... I always like to point out if we ever, if you ever feel like you need our services, of course, the Family Crisis Center, um, it's it's we are accepting of all. And if you are in a dangerous relationship or if you feel like you need our assistance for anything, we do have a toll free 24 hour hotline. That number is 1-800-828-7233. That's 1-800-828-7233. And be sure and subscribe. We are available via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the podcast service of your choice. So give us that subscribe. And as always, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.